Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 235. I know you can fight, but it's our wits that make us men. I say it with bravado. I, that's the best I'm going to get. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Welcome back, Julius. How are you doing, Albert? Doing all right. Doing quite all right, thank you. Good to hear. I hear you're uh, excited to act like a Viking today. Uh, y- yes, I am. It's not necessarily Viking. It's much grimmer and colder, I think. <laughs> it's grimmer and colder than Vikings? Yes, I think so. <laughs> at, okay. least, at least in my world it is. Feels Viking-y to me. It does. It, actually, the art looks kind of Viking-ish. We're talking about a game called Iron Sworn today, an RPG, a role-playing game. A primarily solo role-playing game. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's not necessarily. It's actually solo, cooperative, or it can be played with a game master. Well, I mean, they do say in their rulebook, granted it's 270 pages of rulebooks, so you might have missed this one, but they do say that it's primarily intended for solo and small group play. Okay. I had missed, I don't remember reading that specifically. Well, a small group can include two <laughs> people, you know. <laughs> I mean... The yeah. point is, is that the idea of the soul, it, it's supposed to be one where the game is providing you something and you're acting along to the game. Yes. Whether you're doing that by yourself or with a smaller group, but the game is designed for that kind of dynamic, <laughs> not yeah. to use a GM. Right. You definitely don't need a GM for this. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure how you would play with a GM. I, I, I know it says you can, but I feel like the role would be boring, less fun than, an, yeah, boring maybe. <laughs> Than a normal game. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I haven't tried it that way. And I, no I don't intend to, honestly. But yeah. So, yes. Iron Zone. So, let's talk about the game. Uh, we have been. It's a it's an RPG. It's a grim RPG set in a fantasy setting. It is intended for one or more players. A low number is good. And it is does not require a GM. That was a recap of everything Julius just said. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's in our rubric. And I want to make it official. The uh, the next thing we'll talk about. I I will point out that it is also free. It is also free. That is an important thing. You could download it and play it for free. All the files you need are online. If you want to purchase a book, you could get it through Drive RPG. You could buy a soft cover or hard cover book, and including some of the other things you go that will go along with it. So there's the main book. There's a deck of cards, and there's a book called Lodestar that is all the tables and charts and information you might need in a small book. And then there's an expansion also, which we'll talk about. Excuse me. <coughs> we'll talk about the expansion briefly, but that one is not free. That one you have to pay for. Um, but it is not necessary. True. So so let's talk about the the rules then, right? Um, it's an RPG, so the the game you buy or download is all rules basically. So talking about the rules, we talk about the whole thing. <laughs> Julius pointed out it's a pretty big rule book. It's 250 pages. 270. That might include some of the cards and stuff. I don't know. But either way, it, it's substantial. It definitely it, is. It includes everything. for. I guess it's 250 of actual rules if you don't include like cover page and story mm, and index go, yeah. and things like that. But yeah. Yeah. So so it's it's a lot of information in there. And it's, it's daunting. It, it is. I mean, but you know, you've played Dungeons and Dragons. That's got like 200 pages of rules, doesn't it? Yeah, but I started wow. Dungeons and Dragons just as a player and I didn't worry about yeah. all the rules. I started with a quick start <laughs> book and I let GMs and more experienced players guide me through it. This one, I feel like 
I have to read the full 270 pages to begin. And that's, that's a lot of investment just to begin the game. That is true. You know, every single person that's ever played D&D has learned it from somebody else that already knew how to play, which is an amazing fact. <laughs> this one, you're on your own. That's what I'm saying. It's too much for having to start a game on your own. It's just too much for me. If they have like Fantasy Flight, one thing, like one thing that Fantasy Flight has done nicely is that they have their two rule book approach. They have the quick start here to play the game. Come join us. Let us teach you in written format. And then when you're done with that, here's all the rules <laughs> in a glossary format and 1.011 and that sort of format. <laughs> There's nothing like this for this. If the game had been like, here, here's your starting character. Come sit down and play with me as you're reading through this book. I would have played this game. <laughs> but I got like 40 pages in to the rule book. I think I got what, what's I got past the basics and into some of the specific types of movements that you can make. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm done. That's, that's a lot. Well, you know, you're actually pretty far. So, so let me give you a summary of the rule book, right? There's, there's a few different chapters. The first chapter is the basics. It tells you how the mechanics works and, and some of the basic things about the game. Your typical introduction to a role-playing game thing. What is a role-playing game? That kind of stuff. The second chapter now tells you about your character, how you make your character, the different attributes your character is going to have and whatnot. Which theoretically you still need. Like when you say the basics, you still have to make a character. Yeah. You still have to make a role by yourself. And I'm just saying when it says the basics, the basics is not enough to actually start. No, it is not. But, but I mean, it's the basic rules of how the mechanics work, how sure. the die rolling works, that sort of stuff. It's just the very basic. Um, not the basic to play. The third chapter is the moves. It's a list of all the moves. The move is the basic action you take in this game to do stuff. Um, there's a number of moves. And as a matter of fact, the, the way the moves work, remind me, have you ever played the World of Darkness games, like Vampire the Masquerade, any of those? Many, many times. I, I used okay. to be a regular player of World of Darkness. Okay, years and years ago I used to play. So in a way it reminds me of the way the powers work in those games, in that it gave you a description, but they're very vague, and you could interpret it many, many ways. The moves Which is here, fun. yes. The moves here are similar. They're very vague, and you could use them in many different ways. Uh, it's up to you to describe how that happens. So I thought it was very, very reminiscent of that. I mean, it's not original. Many games do that, honestly, but that's one that I thought of. Chapter four is about the world, um, the setting, which is actually the setting is very light in this game. It's up to you to fill it in yourself. Uh, you, you're going to describe some of the basic aspects of this world. There's a, a map to start with, but it's not at all filled in. You get to fill it in everything as, as you play along, really. You don't need any of this up front. As a matter of fact, you're better off leaving it until later. Then there's a chapter on, on the list of all the enemies and types of uh, people and creatures you'll find. There's a, a chapter on oracles, which is all the different charts and stuff you'll want to use when you're playing solo if you get stuck and need an unexpected thing to happen. Um, and finally, the last chapter, maybe the longest one, is an in-depth description of how to play. What Julius wanted, the quick start guide is at the end of the 250 pages. So you got to read. Really? <laughs> I'm exact. It's not really a quick start guide, but it, it does explain some things here and there. Um, so that that is one to kind of give you a sense of how to do it. But you need all the foundation first. It's not intended as a quick start guide. I was joking when I said that. <laughs> Julius has got this looking like, what what is <laughs> what is this doing here? I I have such a puzzled look because it, like I did try and browse through a lot of it. I tried to read through. I I 
tried to browse through it. I tried to read as much as I could. And I just was unable to get through all of it. I was not sufficiently motivated. Mm-hmm. And now Albert's telling me that there was something that may have made me sufficiently motivated. Now I'm quickly trying to figure out what <laughs> in the world he's talking about because I don't see what he's talking about. No, it is not to get you quickly into it. It's kind of explain how to do things. Because here's the thing. This when it's true with any solo role playing game, really the big ones, or, or when you're playing a regular game, role playing game solo using an emulator like Mythic, a GM emulator, you you kind of have, or even if, if it's the first time you've ever played a role playing game and your friends have never played and you've read the books and you have no idea what you can do, you know, you ask the GM, the DM, okay, I've got my character, what can I do now? And they tell you, oh, whatever you want, and you know. People hear that they don't understand what it means because they expect rules. You know, roll the right. dice, move six spaces, do whatever you want is is kind of overwhelming at first, and that's the same here. And this is sort of to guide you with that. Um, even then, it, I don't know. I don't know if it did a great job. I think that's really hard to to teach people, no matter what. Um, I did find the rules a little bit confusing to read. I felt stuff was not was introduced without really getting explained at first and then later on it'll get explained so i found myself lost a few times and then catching up later as i got to the rest of that concept but you know once once you kind of got through it it is actually a pretty simple game is the interesting thing about it it's not mechanically it's not hard i find it amazing <laughs> that you can call a game with 270 pages of rules simple yeah mechanically not much of that is rules really um well theme okay let's let's go to the rubric and we'll get to the, the simple stuff later the theme is I already mentioned it's a, a it's a dark world. You live on a basically a, a large archipelago. Maybe it's even a continent. Maybe it's that big. It's it's not really explained clearly, and that's on purpose, so you could define it however you want. But uh, it's a very cold region, and also you're that means we don't have to take the time to write it. We'll let you write it for us. No, no, that's not that. It really is much more fun when you don't have all the details set out. At least for a solo role playing game, you fill it out as you go along. You don't worry about coming up with all these details because they don't matter until you need them. I'll leave that as you. You, I disagree with you on that because <laughs> I am a fan of World of Darkness. World of Darkness very fleshed out. There's lots of factions, yes. which gives you a place to insert yourself in and start building on a really strong foundation. This doesn't have that strong foundation. When I play World of Darkness, even when I would theoretically i like i can envision the idea of playing it solo because there's a story there that you're building up on your character is this specific like you're an Asferatu or the magic vampires or you're one of the the wild beasts or whatever it is mm-hmm. there's something yeah. built up and there's factions there's thing to play in this it's like it's it's dark and wild and there's community and there's axes go like <laughs> there's not a strong enough foundation in my opinion that that could be intimidating at first. I think I agree, but it works really well in it's a game. It's not a matter of intimidating. It's I a matter think it of just. Is. It's not. It's it's, a, you know, separate decisions. Yes, but it, it it doesn't give you enough to begin with. Like even the most recent RPG, and that's funny because of you know how Corona stuff happens. But the most recent RPG that I've done is No Thank You Evil, which is designed to play with kids, but it has so much foundation for it to start pulling stuff from. Mm-hmm. And that means that there's a lot of things to pull from. And this one is like wild stuff, <laughs> axes. Like That's funny, yeah. Well, it does really work, believe it or not. You'll just have to take my word for it for now. Or play it yourself. <laughs> or play it yourself. But so where was I? I was talking about the theme. 
the um so you're right it isn't it isn't at all filled in and it is a little lost and confusing one of the things when you get to the section about the world is there's a world building exercise at the beginning where you create your truths as it's called and it tells you um let me look at examples one of the one of the truths for example is communities here are small and you could say no yes that's that's true or i could say no they're they're kind of like not just little tiny groups of three or four families they might be small villages scattered throughout the the planet the place or it might be large cities it maybe that's what it's really like you decide how you want to describe the world and you go through a list of about 10 different truths or so that impact the the world in the background but again they're all vague but they give you enough detail so you have a sense of it especially if you've played other games and read fantasy and watch movies and whatnot you you kind of fill it in without even having to think about it but you come up with these truths and that is your setting it could be very high fantasy it could be very low fantasy depending on how you define your truths um it's a i actually find that process really fun coming up with a world that way and it's super easy because it's 10 questions and the answers are generally speaking a b or c um so that's going to give you the theme um but it is a fantasy setting you're in a world where your your people have come to this world relatively recent maybe in a couple last few generations maybe again that kind of could depend on your game and um you're trying to survive in this really harsh world it isn't defined why you left where you came from you could define that if you care about it or if you don't you leave it out and so the theme is pretty I don't say generic, but I guess it is because it could be whatever you want to make it. The components. Um, so easy. So we talked about the book a lot. 250, 270 page book. Uh, you need, of course, dice. You'll need 1d6 and 2d10. Um, also percentile dice. So you got 2d10, so you don't necessarily need them. But yeah, there is some cards that you get for assets. You could you could print out the cards or buy the printed cards from DriveThruRPG, or you could just write down the name of the card and reference it in the table. Um, these are assets and these are things that you're going to have that kind of define your character a little more and to make it more unique and give you some abilities and that sort of thing. And and then there's I also mentioned there's the Lodestar book, which is basically a list of all the handy tables so that once you've kind of grokked the rules, you could reference this book without having to go through the bigger book all the time. And besides that, there's the expansion that I also mentioned briefly called Delve which adds a, a new, it's a new mechanic, I guess, but it's, I don't want to call it a mechanic necessarily because that kind of gives it more, more detail than I think I should have. I don't know. We'll get to that. Um, and those are the components. And of course, you may want a pencil or paper to write things like with any other game. The the gameplay. So we'll talk about that now. To, to play the game, it's a it's a role-playing game. It's a pretty large, epic role-playing game. It's not like a one-shot sort of thing. This is something you'll play over many sessions. Um, I mean, I'd say at, at least four or five, potentially 20 or 50 or many, many more. As a matter of fact, when we get to some resources, we'll mention the Errant Adventures podcast, of which we interviewed recently, and they did 35 episodes of playing Starforge, the sci-fi version of Iron. Or I'm not Starforge, is it? Yes, Starforged is. Yeah, it is Starforged. I'm sorry, based on this same mechanics and style of game. Oh, and it's very similar mechanically. But so, so when you're gonna play space, 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 space. (laughs) Yes. So when you're gonna play, 
You're going to first come up with your world and your character. I personally found it much easier to come up with the world and then the character when I was just trying to make my character and I had no background around it, like you were saying. I had no idea what to do. I just, I found it hard to get motivated. Once I yep. came up with my 10 truths about the world. <laughs> it's almost like a good foundation. Makes for a good role playing experience. <laughs> well, yes. One, and once I did that, once I did my, my 10 truths, the rest of it almost fell together. My character was easy and I got going really quickly. So I kind of feel like that should have been the first thing you talked about. Build your mm. world. But I don't know. Um, so you're going to set up the, you know, do all the background, make up your character. Your character is going to have different attributes. Like D&D, you know, you got your basic attributes. They're a little different. There's edge, which is kind of dexterity and range combat. Um, heart, which talks about courage and sociability, charisma maybe. Iron, which is your physical attributes like strength and endurance. Shadow, your your sneaky stuff. And wits, which is your expertise and intelligence. Um, so you have those five attributes, and, and they have ratings uh, from one through three. They, they tend to be very small numbers. Um, and you have a couple of attributes that could change, like your health and your, your wealth. And those come in throughout the game. And it's basically a number from one through ten. And then there's also something um, called momentum which maybe we'll get into, maybe not. So now you've got your character, you got your world, you're ready to play. In Iron Sworn, the whole idea is these people that go on adventure, they, they make vows on iron. For some reason, making an iron vow is a very important thing. And I swear on this metal hammer that I have, it's got to be iron, that I'm going to go, you know, save your village that's starving. And, and so now your character has a beginning vow, and that is your goal, and that is what you're going to go do. All this stuff you have set up at the beginning, your first initial vow, and now you're ready to adventure. Adventuring, like any role-playing game, is now you've got a, a backstory. What are you going to do? Well, uh, this village is starving. There's different ways I could help it. I guess maybe I could find another village that has food. Or maybe I've decided that the reason they're starving is because the there's a flood and I need to go build a dam somewhere or whatever. You, you come up with these ideas on your own, or if you're confused, you use the oracles. Then when then to accomplish these vows, you go through a series of adventures and quests and, and uh, things to get to the objective. They're generally not going to be really fast in one session. A vow is something that will take multiple sessions. Depending on how epic it is, it may take longer. The way you accomplish things in this game, whether big or small, is through using progress bars. It's basically 10 boxes. And you have to fill it in sufficiently to, to complete. You don't necessarily have to go all the way, but sufficiently. Um, the way you fill it in and the way you do much other things like combat or whatever, and actually combat even happens in a progress bar, is you're going to roll dice. Uh, you roll your D6 and your 2D10. I have some handy here. And your D6 represents you, your success. The D10s are what you're trying to accomplish. So I'm going to roll these here. I rolled a 4. On my D6, a 5, and a 7 on the D10s. So I needed to roll higher than the D10s to get hits, to get successes. In this case, I failed utterly. So there's three choices. You could fail utterly like I just did. You could have one success. You could have two successes. Uh, a fail, a weak hit, or a strong hit is what they're called. Depending on how you do, then, and, choose, and depending on what move you did, it'll tell you your outcome. Let's say I was trying to, uh, trying to fight some creature. 
if I failed utterly, it might mean that the creature actually got a nice hit on me. It might mean uh, I dropped my weapon. I could kind of define how I mean it, but it means I failed, and there's going to be a consequence of that that I now have to determine. Um, if I got a weak hit, might mean the fight's still going. I didn't necessarily do a lot of damage. Maybe I got a, a physical hit on him. Maybe it's getting weaker, but so am I. So it's still it's going. It could be worse. It could be better. A strong hit means, oh yeah, I hit that creature. Things came out really nicely for me in that that one round. Um, depending on the outcome, especially if you have a strong hit, you'll get to potentially cross off progress on that progress bar of yours, crossing off one of the boxes. Once you have filled it, you have basically succeeded. You don't even have to fill it all the way. Let's say you have eight successes on it to complete a progress bar thingy, to complete whatever objective you're going. You do a challenge. Your rating, instead of rolling to six, is how far you've got on the track. So I've filled an eight out of the ten boxes. I've got an eight. I'm rolling two D10s. And I rolled a four and an eight. Oh, one of them was success. The other one was a tie, so that's a failure. So that's, again, a weak hit. Um, that's how the game works mechanically. You do get modifiers in this game. I mentioned I rolled a four um, or or whatever number I rolled before. I would add modifiers depending on which attribute I'm using. If, for example, if I'm fighting a creature, I might be using my iron skill. And I mean, I'll have a modifier for that. If, um, if I'm trying to be sneaky, I would use my shadow skill. The, you know, if I'm trying to maybe backstab the creature before you saw me. So I get to decide which skill I'm using depending on how I'm approaching this uh, obstacle. That's how the game works mechanically. And easy enough, the part that's really hard for most people is that knowing what to do in this game. is It's, you know, oh my gosh, I got a whole world. I have no idea what to do, where to go. And that is that, that leap of faith where you realize you can do anything. You get to decide how you face any obstacle with any way you could imagine, possibly. And you get to decide what the obstacles are. That could be tricky, and that could be kind of boring if you always are just deciding what the obstacles are. There's no surprises in here in the game, so there's oracle tables at the end of the book. The oracles let you introduce surprises, like unexpected things. You might... Let's look at an oracle, for example. There's some simple ones, like just to give you a character's name, but there's others. So here's a, a mystic back, back... What is it? A mystic backlash oracle chart. Um, so let's say I was trying to do some sort of ritual, and I failed. So I, could, I may have to come to this chart to see how I did, what the consequence of failing was. It might say, oh, I undergo physical torment, which leaves marks upon me. So now I get to think about, what is this physical torment exactly? I'm probably going to base it based on the ritual. Maybe the ritual I was doing had fire, so now I've got burn, you know, second degree or third degree burns on me. Um, the ritual might have failed based on the chart because it reveals a surprise and troubling truth. Maybe I learned something about myself or one of my compatriots. You know, some truth. I get to decide based on this oracle. So these things always in, end up introducing surprises, which is what I found really interesting about this game. As I played along, I've got a plan. I know what's going to expect. And surprises kept coming along that were really interesting, but kept extending my quest and extending my quest and. I'm never quite at it. And it keeps just pushing the game forward that way because there's always another corner to go around and another thing to discover and deal with. And I found all that really fun. Um, so that's kind of, that's how the game works mechanically and very lightly touching upon how you would think about it and do it too. It, it really is a fun role-playing game. In terms of role-playing games, 
we've talked about a few others before, a thousand year old vampires and alone among the stars. This is the one to me that has felt the most like a traditional role playing game, like say a D and D or Vampire the Masquerade or whatever, because because you actually have attributes that you're going against and you're you're fighting creatures and dealing with things and it's an open world for you to explore and go anywhere. Many of these other games are much more driven by uh, by things that are out of your control entirely. So yeah, I I, I really like this game a lot. Really fun. <laughs> There's different ways to play. I've done it, and I've told you this before. I like to write out what happens as a story, pretty much, and write the details. Which the game specifically calls out that and references that you should do that. I mean, it brings up one of the contentions that people have with solo role playing is that because you're making all the decisions, it, it calling using their words, it says that it could feel fleeting if you're not keeping a log of what actually happens to you. Yes, absolutely. It'll if you're. If you're just playing it in your mind and rolling the dice and not writing anything down or recording it somehow, I agree. It's going to feel very fleeting. And those those battles that may happen will quickly disappear into the past. I think much more quickly than if you're playing with a group of friends and dealing with the same combat because everybody's adding to it and the story just ends up feeling more full. If you write it down, I find it kind of slows down your process. And even if, whether you're writing it all down or just jotting brief notes about the fight, um, for example, sometimes I've, I've gotten a little bit detailed about my, my description. Sometimes I'll just write, oh, it was a failure. Here's the consequences, just a couple bullet points and move on. Both of those work really well. I think they, they give you different effects, but it definitely helps, especially later on when you reference it. What I have been finding, I've been writing out in a notebook and I put the game down. I come back a month later, I pick up my notebook. I remember exactly where I was. I didn't be able to continue from, from that very spot without any problem. Play for an hour, put the notebook away, and come back next time and continue, you know, as time permits. Um, that has worked really well, actually. I find it, I find that's actually a really nice way to play with writing out because I could come back and reference and see what happened. Um, but also you get to write down, you write down the character name. So later on when you're doing something and the villain from Chapter 1 comes back, you kind of remember that person's name and what they did that was kind of bad that you don't like them. You know why they're still, you still know why they're a villain. <laughs> Which is kind of, you know, important. So yeah, um, I'm guessing you're still not convinced by it. I am I mean, I have the same issue. Yeah, that that's the thing. There's no way around that, honestly. There's no way around what? Around the issues you have with it. The... This kind of game calls for something you just are not interested in. To doing. a degree, yes, something that I'm not yeah. interested in doing. And even I, I would have tried it out really for the purposes of being able to talk about having tried it out, but could not bring myself to put in the effort to read all 270 pages. And I guess that's maybe my fault. Is that if I really wanted to, <laughs> I would have read all 270 yep. pages. Yep. But I wanted to just sort of dip a toe in and see how it was. And there wasn't an opportunity for do that. And so I decided I just don't feel like going for a swim. And, you know, that's totally reasonable, right? I mean, I I, I could uh, I could go out and try boxing and see what it's like. But I don't I don't want to go through that experience and the process of going through all that to learn it and, and the working out and getting punched in the face a bunch. It's just not worth it for me. And, you know, likewise, whatever, this just isn't worth it to you for for whatever reasons, which is valid. Totally valid answer. I would say, though, to people that are curious and don't want to necessarily try but want to 
get a better sense of what I'm talking about because I've just done a very quick, brief summary in this podcast. There are resources that you could check out. There, there's three that I can think off the top of my head. One is the the designer Sean Tomkin, which probably should have mentioned from the beginning. He he actually designed the whole thing and self published his book, which is pretty neat. It's not through any any other publisher or anything like that. He did all I think he did all the layout and everything himself. Uh, he did a podcast with his son where they played it together. It's about nine episodes. It's called Ask the Oracle, and they go through the process of building the world and coming up with their truths, making their characters. And then playing through part of an. Oh, and I mean, there's a written version and, of that same thing in the end of the rule book as well, which I did read through, where you can read okay. through how someone plays if you want to read through what someone else does. It's not a quick start for you to play, but it's a read through on what someone else does. Okay, yeah, I would I would really suggest the podcast because it's really interesting and, and it is fully fledged out. It's a longer experience. It's it's nine episodes, so it's probably about nine hours. I think it's about an hour per episode, if I remember right. But it's actually a pretty interesting listen, um, and that would be worth it. I would start personally. I would start there is what I would recommend. Uh, a second still resource pushing me to jump in on nine hours when I didn't want to read two hundred seventy pages. Honestly, no. <laughs> Actually, Julius, I've given up on you. I'm talking to the audience now. <laughs> I'm just gonna stop. <laughs> Forget that, Julius, dude. Man, let me see. I said off the top of my head, I forgot one of them already. What was it? Fortunately, I wrote them down here. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, the second one is the Errant Adventures podcast, which I talked to that. Uh, Oh my gosh, I forgot his name already. I'm so sorry. I talked to Mr. Errant Adventures about his podcast. His first season was playing Starforged, not Iron Swan, but mechanically it's the same. This is also good to get a sense of how to, how to develop the story and how to do things. It's not as easy to grasp how to play necessarily, but you could see a lot of times the thought process he goes through to come up with stuff and, and the way he just takes ideas and goes with them unexpectedly. Um, and it's an interesting story. He he does a really good job with that podcast. So that'll be a second resource. And then the third one, I I am not personally familiar with this one. That's why I forgot it. There is a YouTube channel called Me, Myself, and Die, and D I E Die. Um, I don't watch videos, so this is why I'm not familiar with it. But he goes through every season and plays one RPG solo by himself and goes through that process. Apparently, it's really well done. And I believe season two, maybe it was season three. I'm not sure was Iron Sworn. So that'd be another good resource, I think. Everybody keeps telling me it's a good resource. But I would, personally, I would start with the Designers Podcast. I thought that was the best one as an introduction. And that's because that's how he designed it. He made that podcast to teach people how to play and help them get into the game. So, yeah, I mean, that's Iron Sworn. I don't know if I have a whole lot more to say about that game. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you. I mentioned Delve, the expansion. What that introduces, I talked a little bit about the challenges and the progress bars in this game. You could use the challenges in the progress bar for just about anything. Let's say you're getting, and there's moves for most of these things. If you need to get from your village to another part of the land, and it's a long, arduous journey, you're going to set up a progress bar for that travel. You're going to determine the difficulty. The There's 10 boxes, but the easier it is, the quicker it fills up. If it's really easy, each time you get a success, you're going to fill up three boxes. If it's really challenging, each time you get a success, you would fill up a, a fourth of the box. So it could take quite a long time to to complete a really tough uh, task that you're trying to com- accomplish. That'd be like one of the major epic vows of the game, your your life's go. That may take you very, very, very long time to mark a little bit here and there. 
Um, but again, they all work the same way. You add progress as you complete things towards it, the end of getting that, right? So, so if I'm trying to travel from place A to B, if I take a side quest that takes me two days to the side and brings me back afterwards and didn't advance me my track, that didn't add progress even though I was traveling. It has to be actually adding progress to that specific goal. What Delve does, it now adds dungeon exploring in the form of progress. Also, it's pretty neat because it brings a... A, he he came up with a bunch of locations and there's two ways to describe it one is the location type like ruins or an abbey or a forest and the second one is the other part's called themes it could be ancient it could be haunted it could be ravaged or wild these, these are all different themes so you could have haunted abbey or a wild abbey or an ancient abbey whatever um so you come up with the theme and the the type of location and those give you ways to describe it and you now use progress to actually explore through it and, and get back out. And so it sounds doesn't sound like a whole like it had a whole lot. I'm not gonna do a good job of explaining it here, honestly. I wanted to focus really on the main game. Um but it does give you a, a slightly different way to, to do exploration and do dungeon delving, which you didn't really get a good feel of it from the base game rules. The delve really does add to that a lot. Um there we go. I don't think there's anything else I necessarily need to or want to add um, other than it's a really neat game and you should try it if you're not Julius. <laughs> <laughs> just just feel like throwing that in there. Just, yeah, I can't help it. Sorry. Um, no, it really is. It's, it's a really good game. I think it, I think it won awards last year for like RPG of the Year. It was nominated for two Ennies. Now, did it win them? I am not sure, but it was... I, just looked online and says it was nominated for two. Um, oh, no, you know what? It was Thousand-Year-Old Vampire, I think, won them. So both were nominated the same year. And the, So, again, both both really good games and both very different solo role-playing experiences. The The other thing, we briefly mentioned Starforged, the sci-fi setting. It is mechanically very similar. The theme is still very similar in that people make iron vows and go do things, and the world is really harsh and... So both games, you're, you're basically exiled from wherever you lived originally, and it doesn't go into why. You get to decide that yourself if it matters. Um, they both have that in the theme. I didn't personally care for that part of it too much, and I've kind of ignored it for my game. But uh, again, it's mechanically very similar, thematically very similar. One's in the past, one's in sci-fi. The other difference, one's available, the other one isn't. The Star Forge was kickstarted uh, earlier this year, I think, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year. And we'll be out next year, sometime early next year. Um, so if sci-fi sounds more interesting, you may want to wait for that one. So there we go. That's that's the game. Uh, nothing else? Any any other comments or questions or anything, Julius? I don't think so. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for listening, everyone. All right. Have a good day. Along with a few other guests, I was invited to come on to the more Games in Time podcast for a little bit of an end-of-the-year chat. So go check that out. I'll include a link. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus can be found at Gemendo.com. 
The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at donpancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.